Hello, and welcome to episode 226 of Constructing Comics, a podcast building stories one page and one panel at a time. On this episode, we have an interview with Andrew Russell Burkett, creator of Sam Scams, now on Kickstarter. Andrew, thanks so much for coming back on the podcast. You were one of our first interview guests a, a while back, and, and now here we are some 200 episodes later. But for anybody who didn't hear that, that, that first podcast that we were on. Could you give us a quick uh, bio about yourself? Yeah, thanks so much for having me on again. Uh, it was a pleasure the last time. I'm excited to talk to you again. Uh, so for people who don't know me, I actually have been a board game creator for a while. So I design and publish uh, various board games. I have always kind of prided myself on being a writer, but didn't really do much with it. I, I've written novels for National Novel Writing Month and stuff, but kind of have never published any of the stuff I've written. Um, and so I've written a few magazine articles about board games that got published, but um, Sam Scams is kind of my first foray into writing that's actually going to be something that hopefully is published. Um, so that's currently on Kickstarter. But so, yeah, so I, like I said, I, I started kind of with the board gamings and trying to make games that told the story. So I made a game about lost socks and a game about annoying your neighbors out of your neighborhood. So trying to do things that were kind of relatable. And now, like I said, I, I'm excited about getting into the comic industry more. And I think that the board games really helped get me to feel more confident in my ability to find artists and that sort of thing to make my comics the reality. Cause I, felt like as a writer that I didn't know how to draw and my stick figures aren't, you know, don't even have the same size legs and whatnot mm -hmm. that I couldn't do this. And then um, kind of realized from making board games that, huh, well, I can find an artist and I, I could pair up with someone and make this happen. So. Nice. And and what about this book here, Sam Scams? Um, can you tell us uh, a little bit, maybe a, an elevator pitch, uh, quick one or two sentences, and then we'll, we'll get uh, deep into the book in the, in the interview. Yeah, absolutely. So Sam Scams is a book about an alien, Sam, who comes to Earth uh, to basically scam the elderly in the villages in Florida. So he's a pot smoking, foul mouthed alien who comes and wears a human suit and scams old people. Nice. And, uh, you know, we've been acquaintances online for for a while, and I think I've seen some of the art for this uh, going back a couple of, I'm guessing maybe like a couple of months, maybe even like a year or so. So is this something that you've been working on for, for quite some time? Yeah, so unfortunately too long. Uh, so I, I started um, the first issue about two years ago, um, and then kind of stopped working on it for a little while. Um, it had delays, it had looking for various editors and had an editor that kind of just dropped off the map. Um, they found a new editor and I found a good artist and kind of worked on that whole process and was gonna just kickstart one issue. And then ultimately decided, I, I do, like I said, the board game stuff still so I'm planning on doing several other projects for my board game stuff. So I felt like doing too many Kickstarters um, for each individual issue would kind of hinder my ability to do some of my other projects. So I figured I can afford to put a little bit of money into artwork and kind of make a few issues and then just kickstart them all at the same time. So um, what's on Kickstarter now is uh, three issues that are collected into one volume. Um, so over the last two years or so I've been developing those three issues. 
Very cool. And am I correct in remembering it's about 75 issues of, of story? Yeah, it's about 75 pages right now. Cool. So that's a really good value for three, three issues. Because if you think like your standard Marvel or DC book, you're getting you're getting 20, 22 pages. So you might be lucky to get in the neighborhood of 60. But with this one, with three issues, you're getting probably, you know, a little bit of extra story. You know, you're, you're up in the in, in the mid 70s, you know, 75. So you're you're giving a little bit more value than the the standard page count in a uh you know, a big two comic book, right? Yeah. And that's got to be freeing to also be able to do it, uh, do it yourself. You know, you're not confined to um, sort of the, the cookie cutter um, structure that they would want there. So if the story, you know, if issue one calls for, you know, X amount of pages, you're allowed to take it there. Um, did you find that, you know, um, you maybe issue one is a is a little bit longer than two two is a little bit longer like or did they all sort of break out pretty evenly as far as like if you if we div, you know divided it in in thirds do they equal out pretty well or is one longer than uh, the other no there's a few that are longer than the other for sure uh so the first issue was like 28 or 29 pages um the second one's like 20 pages and then the last one's like 28 pages so um, the second one just kind of naturally finished up faster. And um, like you said, I, I kind of had a little more leeway than I would with, you know, a, a bigger publisher doing something like I could step back and say, okay, th this needs to be five extra pages or whatever, or, or this could be shortened to this. And it didn't matter as much. So I didn't want to go below 20. So I, mm -hmm. I think the second issue was at like 18 or 19 pages and I added content to get it up a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, but for the most part, I was able to just kind of like tightly knit into a, a bow on whatever page count I wanted. And then, you know, work within those like very limited constraints first, you know, what other people would have to deal with. Sure. Sure. And I'm guessing maybe the, the way the page count sort of broke out um, to have sort of more pages in, in, one and three there's probably a bit of like backstory world building that you sort of have to weave into the beginning of the story to to catch the reader up and maybe i'm again this is a guess on my part but two might be a little bit more sort of like action-packed and three is you know you got to bring in some resolution there so did you find that that was a factor in the in the page counts yeah, definitely. So the first issue goes a little bit more into Sam's backstory and kind of understanding a little bit of what he's doing um, and why he's scamming old people. Um, the second issue kind of goes more into his scams and, you know, whatnot. And then the third issue, you kind of get to understand uh, the bigger picture that Sam doesn't necessarily see himself. So kind of what his bosses are using him for essentially um and so it kind of transitions to leave it open for because i i definitely am planning on writing more issues i was gonna work on the fourth issue and then got sick um but i'm i'm trying to to work on that now so if this funds then the plan is to kind of keep making more issues in the series and do another volume 
Awesome. So, you know, I had mentioned earlier, sort of in the intro, that this is your, your your second time on the podcast. The first time you came on, it was with the the Tokyo Rose Project. Is that correct? Yeah. So, Andre Fortino, one of my friends, wrote Tokyo Rose, and I had a uh, been really getting into kickstarting various stuff for my board game projects and really wanted to kind of conquer a comic book Kickstarter. So Andre had unfortunately not successfully funded the first go around. And so uh, I worked with him to make sure that we could get the funding up and get it funded the second go around. And so when I was on the podcast the last time we were doing that uh, second funding period for Tokyo Rosen. So I came on as a co-publisher of the the Kickstarter edition of the book. So um, I was super excited to be part of that project. And it was awesome to see that it did cross the finish line. It was successfully funded. And uh, now it's out to all the backers and whatnot. And I think it's an awesome story. I'm really proud to be part of that one. Yeah, it's it's a beautiful book. I, I do have, I, I can attest, uh, my copy showed up and and I, I poured over it. It's, 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 it's a really awesome book. So you had run... Um, board game kickstarters prior to to the tokyo rose comic kickstarter right yeah so at that point i think i had done like three or four board game projects at this point with tokyo rose and one other co-published project i've done seven projects sam scans is my eighth so i've done five um board game related projects awesome and uh i'm and this is sort of me taking a guess here but i'm thinking that um, there's probably similarities in a board game Kickstarter, um, but there's obviously probably differences as well. But you got to maybe sort of dip your toes into the comic um, Kickstarter with the Tokyo Rose as a co-publisher um, and have like a team to sort of um, bounce ideas off of. Did you? Does that? Did that make you more comfortable when it was time to start designing the Sam Scams? Um, Kickstarter, Kickstarter pages, rewards, and all that kind of stuff? Absolutely, yeah. So I, I think what's interesting is that there's certainly a lot of similarities. I mean, the goal of the a Kickstarter, no matter what the project's for, obviously, is to get people to support a project and make it come to life, right? So um, and the ways you do that are even fairly similar. Like on the Kickstarter page, my goal is to get you excited enough to want to buy whatever I'm selling. Um, and so really it, it's, even though they won't ever say it's a pre-sale platform or anything like that. And they say, you know, that you're pledging. Um, essentially it's a pre-sale mechanism. I'm trying to make money so that I can afford to actually make this product. Um, and so, so the board games and comics in that kind of realm don't differ that much, right? But there are some differences. Like in comics, it's a lot more common to do like early birds and kind of these like limited edition variants and that sort of thing. With with board games, that's not really a thing. Um, so there, there are kind of some other logistical challenges and figuring out. Um, and then I, I think something else that, is uh kind of interesting is board games are like the gaming is the biggest category and kickstarter like by far and board games make up the largest part of even over video gaming on kickstarter um in terms of, of funding 
So because there's so many projects launching and so many raising significantly high dollar amounts, I, I looked this morning just because I was curious. Um, and I think it's something like there were like 200 board game projects that have raised over a million dollars. And there was like wow. three comic projects that had done that. So the, and I, I like, I know board game creators that have raised millions of dollars. It, it's just significantly easier, I feel like because in in some ways because that audience already exists so you're competing with these big players bigger than you would even with comics on kickstarter i know there's a whole thing with keanu reeves and you know some kickstarters that have these big names but it's a lot less common with comics for like a real real big name to be on the platform verse mm -hmm. board games it's just been a thing for years that these people, even big companies, it, it's hard when you're manufacturing something and board games pretty much have to be manufactured in China um, to find out how many you want to print. And so a lot of creators, even if they've raised millions of dollars before, still need to figure out, should I print 100,000 of this thing or should I print 50,000 so I don't go bankrupt? Um, and so it still is like a good gauge of them figuring out what they can realistically print and what people would buy from them. And so I think that's one thing that I've kind of learned and uh, learned through Tokyo Rose is that there's a lot less backers on Kickstarter for comics that are just searching for comics. It's a lot more important to bring your own audience with board games. If you have a strong enough audience, you'll find additional people that just find your project that you've never heard of before. And I think that's less common with, with comics it, it exists but it's just not to the same degree yeah i i could agree with you there um so i i want to go i want to make sure that we we touch on comics but i i have a question on like uh board game uh you know construction sort of you know you, you mentioned that the most of the stuff has to be manufactured in in china um you know as comic book creators we put our pages together, we find a printer, um, you know, we, we look at the specs that we need to upload the, the files to, we send them off. Most likely we get sort of a proof copy that says, hey, yep, everything's lining up well, let's go ahead and print. Is that a similar structure with, uh, with board games? Because I'm assuming, you know, uh, you know, you have the sort of the fold out board that you would put on the table. Um, you know, there might be some some playing cards involved, some pieces to move around, some die. So are you getting um, proofs um, sort of more expansive than you would in a comic book where, you know, as a creator, I'm like I said, I'm uploading the files. I'm getting a proof. I'm going through the pages. Everything lines up. Everything is correct. And I say, all right, let's go ahead and print. So are you reviewing you know, more aspects of the game when you submit it to a manufacturer? Yeah, it's it's a similar process, but uh, potentially slightly more difficult. So um, with the comic, you know, the, you're looking mainly at, at paper quality and binding, right? Like there, there's not much involved from a manufacturing standpoint other than making sure you use the right quality materials and that the printing itself is good. Mm -hmm. um, with board games, it can be a little more difficult because if I have a big game that has like a custom component and it's a wooden component, it has to be shaped a certain way. Now I have to make sure that they can make that, that 
if it's a miniatures game that has all these plastic resin models that the models look right and that they don't fall apart. So I haven't been able to do any miniature games, but I've seen a lot of publishers that do. And that adds another like manufacturing complexity that basically requires more of that back and forth and more of the proofing. So essentially with board games, what I basically do is, um, I play test the game, get it all right and whatnot, get artwork. And that same kind of deal you would with a comic with getting an editor, kind of get people to play the game, make sure that everything works. Um, and then when I send it to manufacturing, I'm sending it to get one proof copy normally or a few proof copies that show that what it will look like in its final state. Then I do a Kickstarter after you know already having sent it to reviewers and whatnot. And, um, and then from that point, then I manufacturing the final product, it's not going to vary much for my proof. So like occasionally you'll find an error or two, or like, you know, I, I might get the proof back and I'm like, uh, this card stock could be a tiny bit better. I might say, Oh, on the files I sent you, this is wrong. So I'm just revising my own files, things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, but for the most part, the proof stage, I, I want it to be right. And so if anything major changes, then I get them to send me another copy. So like Ruins of Mars was my last like bigger game. They they missed a few components on one of the proof stages. And then I made them send me another one that had all those components so that I could see in its finished product once the Kickstarter had funded. Um, and so, yeah, it's a, it's a similar process, but uh, then you also have to understand like international logistics and figuring out shipping from China and whatnot. So it's slightly easier if you can find a domestic printer. Um, mm -hmm. But for board games, it's just not really feasible. So um, sure. it, it is kind of a cool thing with comics that that is more feasible. Nice. So, um, you know, Sam scams, this is something that you've been working on for a while. You've, you've had the, the sort of idea Um and you've been working on it. Um, so you had mentioned in you know your your previous Kickstarter experience that was a way that you found that you could you could go online and find somebody with with an art style um, that sort of fit with what you wanted to do. So um, who is the artist on this book? Uh, Travis Martinez. He um, he goes by all kinds of different names online. Um, so. Uh, uh, he goes by Dane Celestia, I believe. Um, okay. But he, I, I found him through a comic book artist group. So kind of what inspired my, my confidence to find artists is I found a lot of artists through Facebook groups for my board games or through Behance, which is like Adobe's website for creatives. So I felt more confident, even though I didn't know any artists that did comics specifically that I could find an artist because I had already done that for board games and I figured it would kind of translate the same, um, which was true. I, I think that Travis, I found, like I said, in, in a Facebook group and um, he posted art that I really liked. I had him do a, a few pages kind of as a test and it went well. So then, uh, you know, he's continued on the series and um, I'm happy with his work. And he, um, he has a local colorist to him that, he had her work on the, the coloring, but I always was just in contact with him. So, Cool. So um, Travis was able to sort of bring a, a colorist into the team. And I've, I found that that's sometimes a, uh, 
some a common thing that we find is, you know, I can say for myself, um, I did a book and, you know, I found a line artist and he was like, hey, my my buddy's a colorist. He's worked with me in the past and he shows you samples. Um, so it's it's good, I guess, in that circumstance that, you know, they have a working relationship and, um, you know, you were able to add a, another part of the team pretty easily. Yeah. What about um, lettering the book? Did you did you go out and find somebody to, to letter the book? Yeah, so at first I was having Travis do it and he um, pretty begrudgingly did it because he said he didn't do lettering, but I didn't know anyone. Um, and then w- once I kind of started getting feedback, people mentioned that, you know, the lettering could be a little better. So I, um, I talked to a comic creator locally to me who actually is a professor Roland man he has a bunch of comics out um he talked to me for hours and he said hey one of my former students does lettering um Wes and I had actually met Wes at a convention years prior to that and totally forgot about it um that he did lettering um and so I reached out to him and he did the first issue um and then kind of decided that he was done with lettering for a while so he ended up uh just uh sending all over all of his files and whatnot so that i could get another letter for the project and ended up getting um justin to work on it awesome and uh were you reviewing things at all all stages you know pencils from our line art from travis colors um, and just sort of giving the sign off and also that, or did that process sort of change over time as you guys had worked together? Um, you know, maybe you were, you were seeing, you know, almost complete pages at a point or were you reviewing each stage at, at a time? Um, at the beginning, it was, um, <coughs> excuse me. Um, at the beginning, I was certainly reviewing a lot more early, early process stuff. And then um, Travis basically would send me uh, if he had any questions about a page kind of early line art stuff, and then he would ink it further um, based on my feedback. But for the most part, now that we've kind of jived and worked together for a while, it was mainly he would send me his inks pretty much done and make sure everything was good. And then it, if I signed off on it, he would send it to the colorist and she would send me what it looked like at the end. And um, I really didn't ever have too much to uh, change on her end once it was inked. So, um, yeah, that's basically how I've worked on it thus far. Cool. And um, as far as like scripting, um, do you do, do you do full script or do you do like general um, plot points um, and allow the artist a little bit more freedom on sort of panel breakdowns? What's what's your process there? I have uh, panel breakdowns in my script for sure and and put some level of detail, but I try to give them, I, I've always wanted artists to have as much creative freedom as possible because I've found that artists are a lot better at their job than me. So uh, it's, the, the more I dictate what they do, the, the worse the end product. So I tend to want to give them as much feedback as they need to to make it happen and then whatever they add outside of that is better. Um, but that can also potentially create some challenges sometimes. So 
um, in the case of, of this book, I did have a few panels that were uh, maybe less understandable to Travis uh, from an art perspective and he didn't understand like where the setting would be and whatnot. And so he kind of just guessed on it and it turned out to be wrong. Um, and then I realized that I actually liked it better within the other setting, but I had to change a few other pages to make it work. Mm -hmm. um, so I ended up changing other pages to make this weird setting work. Um, so it ended up making the book better, but it was just kind of interesting, funny, like a, the mis mistake ended up changing the story a little bit for sure. Nice. Yeah. Well, sometimes those, uh, those happy accidents, uh, you know, are, are an interesting sort of creative, um, not sort of a roadblock, but it makes you sort of go back into the story and go, okay, I see this now. And this is, sounds like this is what happens. And you're like, I really like this now. Now I need to sort of go back into my story and be creative and sort of use these pieces and maybe shift some pieces around or, or look at pieces and change them. So it now fits. Um, so it's good to sort of have that flexibility there. Yeah. Awesome. So, you know, you had mentioned, um, looking for, for an artist and finding Travis, you know, one of the questions I ask people is, is what was it like that first time uh, you got a page or did, or did you get character designs first? What was the first thing that you got back from Travis? Um, I think he, he had sent me the, the initial sketch of Sam and, um, and I think the first page kind of pretty close succession. Um, but it, it was definitely exciting to see it kind of come to life a little bit more. And I was at this point even more so with, uh, having so many pages, but it it's weird as a creator. It never really gets old seeing something that it's an idea in your head, go to something that's actually like a, a manufactured product. Like I get that way. Every time I see my games, it definitely is a prideful moment. So I'm excited about actually getting this printed and, having it in my hands but even getting the digital artwork back kind of gives you that little prideful moment of wow this thing I made actually exists now yeah that certainly is a is a cool part of the whole making comics uh thing so um when Travis gave you that first page and maybe the the character designs did he um I find that there's generally two things happen for me either the artist sort of magically um nailed that thing that was in my mind's eye or they were really close and they did something that was so much better than what was in my mind's eye so so what what happened for you was it like almost an exact sort of matchup of what you were were you thinking in your mind for sam or was it like oh my god this is an improvement on on what i had in my in my head it was definitely an improvement on what i had in my head i I didn't really have like a super fleshed out idea of what he would look like, mm -hmm. um, which is part of like we talked about. I don't want to give the artist too, too much normally mm -hmm. um, because then I feel like it stifles their creativity. I don't want them to just be drawing on a prompt. I want them to kind of question and be like, why is this this way? And um, I like when when they send options and, you know, are able to you know, actually create within the creative process and 
uh, formulate their own ideas for things. So Sam wasn't very well defined and uh, Travis really did a good job of making it something more than what I would have thought of. He's like this weird, weird lanky looking alien. I, I knew and kind of put in the script. I didn't want it to look like aliens. People are like familiar with in most movies. I wanted mm-hmm. them to be very different from that. And uh, it's, he's definitely very different from that. Cool. So um, I, I feel like we've talked a lot about board games, Kickstarters and, and this comic. Um, and, you know, a lot of times when I have somebody on for an interview that's in a Kickstarter, I sort of check in about sort of the, the mindset of, of running a Kickstarter. And one of my questions is, are you a click the refresh button every 30 seconds to see where you are? Are you, are, are you mellow about it? Like go for a walk? You know, I haven't looked at my Kickstarter in two hours. Let me check in and see, see where I'm at. Uh, what kind of Kickstarter runner are you? Um. Honestly, for, for the board games, it, it, it changes a lot quicker. So I definitely refresh it like every minute. I'm probably more uh, hands off with, with the comic. I I leave the tab open. So it's open right now. I, I can see it. Mm-hmm. But, um, but I'm not checking it. Every, I might check it every few minutes when I'm on my computer, but I'll, I'll definitely disappear for a while and not check it. But running a Kickstarter is certainly a very stressful thing and something that I think people don't realize, like when it isn't doing as well as you thought, it's easy for us as creators to kind of get the imposter syndrome. And even though I've, I've raised a substantial amount of money on Kickstarter, I still, every single time I launch a project, get, get very, very nervous. Uh, and when it doesn't do as well as I wanted, definitely a uh, it's eye-opening and uh, can be nerve-wracking. Yeah, so you had mentioned that um, Kickstarters for, for board games, uh, the, the numbers can change, you know, pretty um, rapidly. Do, com- or do, do board game Kickstarters also sort of have the same thing that we experience in comics, that there's an initial rush on launch day and then there's a, a slowdown um, what some of us refer to as the dreaded dead zone. And then there's an uptick again at the end, you know, as it's like the last, you know, 72, 48 hours. Um, do, do you experience that same thing with, with board game Kickstarters? Yeah, I, I think potentially even more so. Um, so board game tend to have significantly higher backer count. So like, I feel like the the average com- so what I was looking for with comics is like I feel like the average campaign maybe gets a hundred to two hundred backers. Um, the average board game project is is probably like double or triple that. You you probably have like three or four hundred is what I normally got for most of my projects, and that was probably average. I wasn't doing better than most people, mm-hmm. um, but. I'm also having to minimally print a thousand copies and, you know, manufacturing costs are higher and whatnot. So, so you have to have higher goals. And so that kind of contributes to some of that, but that causes me to need basically at least like 30% of my funding within the first 48 hours for board games, because I know the middle two weeks are kind of like the dead zone, like you said. Um, and I'll see backers drop. I'll see a few add-on during the middle of the campaign, but my general funding isn't going to be through there. 
so with board games, when I did Kickstarter consulting stuff a lot, what I always kind of tried to tell people is you're going to get a third of your funding in the first two days, a third of your funding in the last two days and a third, the whole rest of the campaign. So it's very, very much on the first and last two days. And so in theory, people are like, oh, I could just run a six day campaign, <laughs> which obviously isn't the case. Uh, getting people to know about it takes time and whatnot. But that's why I also kind of opt for normally shorter campaigns. I feel like uh, 21 to 24 days is kind of like my sweet spot with board games mm -hmm. um, where I'm not. I feel like the longer you run a campaign and the creators will kind of understand this when you run a campaign, it's super stressful. So the the longer it is, the more stress you're going to have for, for a longer period. So I started with doing 30 day campaigns and then was like, yeah, I want it to be a little shorter than that. Three weeks is as much uh, stress I want on me. And then I can be done and nap for a day after my <laughs> campaigns. Then. For sure. Yeah. I, um, I recently uh, started um, co-publishing um, some books on Kickstarter with, with a partner and the, the very first book we did, we had a bit of a, uh, a higher funding goal than I had been able to do on, on my own in the past. So I set our funding period at 60 days and that was completely and utterly stressful and I will never do that again. Um, all I did was expend that, that middle that middle third where I was struggling, um, you know, trying to get eyes and ears on the project. All I did was make that period of time longer and yeah. more stressful on me. Um, so yeah, I, I, I've experimented, um, but I, I think, yeah, I'm in agreement with you. So you got to find that sweet spot where you're going to put the work in and you're going to be stressed and you're going to, you know, constantly be you know grinding trying to get eyes on the project trying to get ears on the project trying to trying to generate interest but you know you just can't you just can't do it to yourself where you, you go at it for for too long so yeah I think you're right where you, you you know it seems like you found the the 21 24 day sort of time period that sounds like that's your 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 sweet spot where you're confident you can get it done you're confident you can put the work in but you're also um understanding that you're you're not going to put too much you know emotional uh you know stress on yourself right yeah exactly and i think what's interesting and i've seen it's it's probably less known in the the comic industry it's like just not a thing but the board game industry is kind of weird um on kickstarter it just became a thing that board game creators launch on a tuesday like mm -hmm. every single time Tuesday is the day that Kickstarter is launched. That's just a thing for the board games. Um, if you launch a board game, it's not on Tuesday. Everyone's going to look at you weird. Um, and so what's interesting is, is a, kind of how those, those days played out is that a lot of projects wanted to launch on that Tuesday because that's what board games do. And they wanted to end on a Friday because campaign money doesn't come out until the campaign ends and a lot of people get paid on Fridays. Mm -hmm. So uh, the kind of consensus with board gaming was you launch on a Tuesday and you end on a Friday. Um, and then you end up within that, you know, three week ish period, um, a, you know, a few days over 21 days. Cause you started on a Tuesday and end on a Friday. 
So that is kind of what I've done with all my board game projects. Um, and just kind of a, a reason why, which it doesn't really make sense, but there's data to back it up. And um, I don't know if it's that that data backed it up enough or if at this point it's like the, uh, you know, that everyone's doing it. So now it's just, you know, self-fulfilling prophecy kind of deal. But um, the reason why a lot of board game projects launched on Tuesdays is they, they found that people were more likely to back during the week, like when they're bored at work than they were on the weekends. So I've even found this with my comic project. I had uh, like seven backers come on Friday and then one yesterday. Um, And I didn't really do anything differently. Yeah. It seems like during the week, you get a lot more backers who maybe are just bored at work or whatever. Um, Sure. Yeah, I think that that that, um, sort of logic of the Tuesday and Friday is also sort of creeping over into the uh, the uh, the comics space. I, I know I've heard people say that at comics, so I don't know if somebody looked at the data points from uh, board games and then just sort of merged that over into, but I'm also hearing that in, in comics as well. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting. And like I said, I because board gaming is like the biggest category and kickstarter kickstarter uh even though they don't adapt as much as people would like um has definitely kind of been more in tune to that community and definitely more probably more supportive kind of than some of their other categories um and so i think board game creators have been able to learn and kind of gauge stuff better and in theory kind of are at the front lines of a lot of things like i think that I've been hearing a lot about like backer kit and utilizing pledge managers for comics lately, but that's been something that board games have done. I've done for like seven years or whatever. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, so, so it's kind of one of those weird things where um, it's getting more to the, to the point of uh, that comics are catching up sort of to what board games projects have done and hopefully learning some stuff and hopefully we'll grow to to get to that level as well because obviously i i'm a a big fan of both i love board games and will play board games as often as i can but i also don't always have a gaming group and love reading so comics are honestly what i get to actually enjoy more often and my board games sometimes will just sit (laughs) on my shelf but (laughs) so i i feel like this is uh, interview has taken an interesting turn that we we've done we we've talked a lot about the the parallels of of board game crowdfunding and comics crowdfunding. There's a lot of sort of similarities. It's you know it's a lot of create creative work and it's a lot of you know you know the other side of it is the is the the promotional work. Um, so I have a couple more questions about how things might relate. Um, my first question is, is I found that a lot of times in, in comics, there's a, uh, there's a, there's a, there's a sort of a sharing, like if I have a campaign that's going on, that's a, that's a sci-fi comic. And then I see your book that comes out, that's a sci-fi book with a bit of a, you know, a comical turn. I'll say, Hey, you know, check out Sam scams. Um, you know, if I do an update and then like in turn, you would say, Hey, you know, uh, this is an update for Sam Scams, but also check out this book. 
if you like my book. Is there is there is is there is that similar thing in um, board games, or is it sort of every man and woman for for themselves, sort of out there uh, with sort of like a mentality that there's only so many crowdfunding dollars to go around? Um, so a little bit of both. So. Um, when I first started with board games in like 2015, I think it was a lot more common for um, not even necessarily like, hey, you share my campaign, but I knew other creators that would at the end of their updates just be like, here's other projects that we like. Mm-hmm. Um, and I see that a lot less now with board games. I don't know if it's just like gotten out of practice or some of the companies have grown to the point of you know, having larger corporate entities above them that maybe just don't want to share their money as much. Um, but I don't think that in, in the board game industry, it's not a thing like that people think that, oh, there's only so many dollars I'm competing with you. It's definitely still kind of like the comics where there's a camaraderie and sort of like we're all creatives just trying to make it work. So um, if you're you're also a creative trying to make it work, cool, we like you. Um, and to, to that kind of end, the, the board game community, honestly, is like stronger and tighter knit. There's definitely issues and like comics gates for comics. There, there's a kind of issues within the board game industry of people who aren't into inclusiveness and things like that. Um, but there, there's a, a strong core of people that just want to support each other. And mm-hmm. I think potentially more and which is why there's more backers. I think there's just more people because of it being a social medium where I to play a board game. I need other people. Normally there, there's some solo games, but for the most part, I need other people to play it. So because of that being a social element, I feel like it's easier and more common for people to share like, Oh, I'm playing this game right now. Or I really love this game. Or I just saw this game on Kickstarter. And I do that with other board game creators. Like I'm friends with people. I like to play games. So I go and back their projects and then they back my project. And so because of that, I'm able to get a lot more backers for my projects for board games because we kind of all back each other's stuff um, because we like each other and want each other to succeed. And I see that a little bit with comics, but I feel like there's not as much like I think it's more like you have to find that community and, you know, create that community within comics and board games. There's already kind of like these established base so I can go and find everyone through these Facebook groups. Whereas with comics, you kind of have to individually connect with people a little bit more. uh, Okay. So a couple more questions. Um, Have you found a lot of crossover or have you taken the time to, when you get a backer, do you, have you been able to see if like hey this is somebody that's come over from uh board games um you know somebody who knows likes and trusts you because they've sort of um you know got one of your board games before have you seen any any crossover there there's certainly a crossover um but unfortunately uh it, it's not as big as i kind of hoped i guess um okay so right, right now, I mean, we have, like, like I said, so, so with board games, like my highest board game project had like nearly 900 backers. So in theory, I could get at least, you know, a decent amount of those people to back another board game project, but it's a lot less likely to get them to back a comic project, obviously. Um, 
and you know not all of them will see that I have, i've launched another project too obviously there's only a certain amount of people that follow the kickstarter account so they know when i launch a new project and all that kind of stuff but we have currently like 40 backers for sam scam so it's it's definitely like i've i've got more day one backers for some of my other projects but because it's such a different medium there are there are definitely are similarities i think that getting people to kind of partake in both is something that's going to be a little bit of a challenge for me even though i know that there's a lot of comic book creators that i've seen playing board games and i've seen a lot of board game creators reading comics and so that there is definitely a huge overlap i just don't know if that overlap that they're buying in the same way like i don't know if people who are buying comics on kickstarter are also buying board games on kickstarter and vice versa um mm -hmm. so i have to see if that's the case and kind of have to look through uh the the current pledges and and you know the pledges uh, at the end of the campaign and see how many translate and kind of figure out maybe why what what's getting people to cross over and and part of it could just be too like I made a very eclectic comic about an alien scamming people uh, <laughs> because that's what I wanted to write. Mm -hmm. But I also know that when you do kind of weirder offbeat stuff that you could potentially limit your audience with that as well. So maybe that the people who are buying this game about Mars aren't jiving with what the comics I'm currently creating, but would with another comic. So kind of figuring all that stuff out is going to be important for me. Sure. So I think maybe my, my, my last question for you in the interview is one, I, I, they're, they're sort of related it, it, and you might, you might have the answer. You might not have the answer. Has you, have you ever seen a board game project that included um, some sort of sequential art as part of it? Um, you know, maybe in the rule book, um, or if not, is that something you would be interested in is to sort of combine your two creative loves of, of board game and sequential art telling and maybe try to do a board game that includes a comic or to get really interested or get really sort of inventive with like the, the, uh, the instruction booklet. I'm thinking about those beautiful sort of like D&D &D manuals that you would get with all of that really great artwork that would sort of give the dungeon master the the rules. Have you ever thought about something like that? Yeah. So there's certainly a lot of board games that in, so I, I think what draws me into comics and what draws me into board games are, are pretty close to the same thing. Um, I'm, I like fun experiences and like storytelling. And so I, I think storytelling is at the crux of any game that I really like. Um, I think one of my, my favorite games, uh, there's this game deception murder in Hong Kong, and it's kind of like a gamer's version of clue, but during the game, like you're trying to figure out who the murderer is and they have murder weapons in front of them. And you're like crafting stories around why they would murder with a certain weapon and why, what their motive was and all that kind of stuff. And I, I think why I like the game so much is that storytelling aspect. Um, and I think that there have been some games that have involved story, not all with sequential art, but I think that's something that could be the future and could help kind of combine those audiences. So I am actually working on a game currently that I'm writing a comic for 
um, so that it can be included and the comic series might be able to live on on itself and the board game live on it by itself but then it it kind of grounds the game and adds to the story element so the game doesn't just feel like you're just playing any other game that you're also immersing yourself in this story interesting yeah that 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 sounds really cool the the both the game you described and sort of this this idea that that you have the the, the combination of the two they sort of can relate to each other, but they can also sort of live as, as separate entities. That, that's pretty interesting. And I do know one company that has kind of done this um, well. So SourcePoint Press um, owns a board game company as well, Deepwater Games. So like Franklin and Ghost, which I love as a comic, um, made a board game. Um, and I know they're doing a lot more board game projects that are based on their comic book IPs. So um, the way they've done it at this point, I feel like, is they've developed comic book intellectual properties and then have translated them to board games. And mm -hmm. I'm kind of trying to start with, um, I signed a board game and kind of re-themed it based around a story that I was writing. Um, but I'm kind of trying to make them simultaneously. But I think they've actually done a super well job of um, kind of combining those two. I, I think they have a board game right now for rat queens which i think was based on the comic book cool yeah i think uh i yeah I've, I've i've talked to some of the the guys at source point at at comic cons and i've seen sort of the uh the booth where um it's a bit of both it's a bit of uh comic book uh you know selling going on and a bit of uh board game selling going on so yeah i i, I know what you're talking about with the with the source point guys but i haven't seen any of the the, the sort of the crossover um, game. So I'll have to check those out. Yeah, I, um, I just looked it up. Uh, Deepwater Games has Rat Queens, um, which was a comic book on Kickstarter. Now they have raised like $245,000 so far. Um, nine days left. So they're doing pretty well. Um, so actually, I need to backtrack. I do have one more question for you. Um, you know, a lot of times as, as comic creators, um, we can um, go to a printer, have the printer send us X amount of books back. Um, and, you know, you know, you have, let's just say you have 150 um, backers. It's not that hard for us as an individual creator to, you know, sort of have a packing party at home. Like I can bribe my kids with some pizza to, um, you know, bag and board and, you know, stuff some envelopes. But with um, a board game, are you having the manufacturer send the, the, send the games directly to the, the rewards backers? Or are you getting this like massive pallet of games from the, from the dock and, and then mailing them out on your own? So um, for the most part, so like right now, uh, Deepwater has 2,000 plus backers for this project. Like sending out 2,000 big games is probably quite the undertaking. I did a blanket Kickstarter and I fulfilled it myself and it was an undertaking delivering 150 of them. Mm -hmm. uh, never mind doing, like you said, paying people in pizza and stuff for, for the lower accounts you can kind of do, but when you get to that higher end that most of the board games get to, uh, what they basically do is they'll go to their manufacturer and say, okay, we need to print X number of copies of the game. 
send X number to the UK, send X number to Australia and, and all these regional hubs. And so like we have a hub and uh, a fulfillment company that we work with in China. We have one in the UK. Now we're going to have to have one in, in the EU because the UK being separate. Um, and then we had one that was in Australia. We had one in the US that, and then we had one in Canada at one point. So we had all these hubs and they would just send a certain number of games to those hubs. And then they, those fulfillment companies would send it to the individual backers. Interesting. Um, yeah. Which obviously is more expensive. And so wouldn't really make as much sense, but also board games are like a bigger product and typically more money. Um, so it made a little more sense there. But. Yeah. Yeah. Um, cool. So, you know, as we close up here, um, let's, let's turn our attention back to Sam scams. You know, you gave us the, uh, the initial pitch, you know, it's a, a, a con artist alien. Um, that's correct, right? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So why don't you, um, you know, give us a pitch for it as we close up here. Um, let folks know where they could follow you and your gaming company online. I guess it's actually more of an entertainment company, right? It's uh, you, you list yourself as a, as an entertainment company, right? Yeah. So, uh, the, like, I have like a parent company at Theris Entertainment and then I have the Theris Games and the Theris Publishing as like separate divisions just so that the comics and board games are a little bit separated. Okay. Um, but yeah, so the, the total is an entertainment company and I plan on kind of branching out to additional things even within the publishing realm. Like I said, I've written books before and would like to eventually do something with those. Um, so I, I plan on doing more comics as well as novels and the board games. Awesome. So uh, do you have like a, like a general website where folks should go online to, to see everything? Yeah. So the website is atheris, A-T-H-E-R-A-S, entertainment.com. Uh, on all my social media, I'm atheris, Andrew on Instagram and Twitter, on Facebook and whatnot. I go by my full name. So Andrew Russell Burkett, which you'll find on the Kickstarter and you can find my full name if you need it. Um, and yeah, so Sam Scams is uh, crazy 75 pages that will certainly be interesting to you if you like like late night cartoons or anything like that. Sam definitely swears a lot. He is a raunchy alien. Uh, but if that's your thing, if you think the idea of a pot smoking alien who scams old people sounds funny definitely support the campaign it really means a lot to me i couldn't make my projects without kickstarter so it really is awesome to know that there's people out there that want the things that i'm making and can help me bring it to life very cool awesome well we're gonna have links to um to your website and your social media in the show notes as and as well, a link to the Kickstarter. So for anybody listening to make it as easy as possible for them to just scroll down, hit that link, you know, go to the website. More importantly, go to the Kickstarter page and check everything out. So um, check the show notes. Um, I'd like to thank everybody for listening. If you could please give us a rating and review on the podcasting service you use, we really appreciate it. If you want to follow the podcast, we're on Twitter at ConstructComPod. Instagram is Constructing Comics Pod and Facebook is Constructing Comics. Um, I, I just, once again, want to thank everybody for listening. Please be safe, be nice to each other and go out there and make some comics. Thank you.